Hello and welcome to the second part of our episode 15 council chamber our first impressions of the Essen 2013 fair. This episode is a continuation of our last one and again we're joined by Puria as we chat about various issues. So we'll be giving a quick overview and some thoughts on the games we did actually manage to play at Essen this year. And amongst other things, we'll be talking about that purchase that we most regret, the games that we wish we had actually gone and bought, and also looking at the Essen releases and the game that we think will be the highest rated on the BGG rankings in a year's time. As always, don't forget you can catch us on the Dice Tower Network, along with the very best in gaming podcasts. So, on to another review of a game we've played, and it's Ronan Up. And this time I'm going to choose Packet Row, the two to five player game. It takes roughly 45 minutes. It's from Henrik and Asseberg. We did preview it in one of our shows. They did Aratus and Oregon, and they also had Galapagos coming out this year at Essen. It was published by White Goblin. They were showing lots of games off, like Invaders, Artifacts. They had copies of New Amsterdam, their Revolver line. It takes around 45 minutes, and it's themed around Packet Row in New York, 1842. It's the docks area. And you're attempting to be a merchant and gain contracts to ship goods to certain areas of the world. And in doing so, making money and money is worth points in the game. You're also going to be able to purchase property, which is going to give you points at the end of the game. It's all based around these cards. So what you're trying to do is get contracts, get a ship that goes to the correct country, Get the right goods for that contract and do it without running out of money because if you run out of money, you're going to have to start going to the bank, just getting a very slow trickle of income to get yourself going again. Very much a balance between earning income and using that income to score points. It's a quick game. It's certainly in that very light casual area, but how do you actually play it? There are four areas of the board. There's the docks, there's the guild house, there's the market and there's the bank. In each of those areas, there's going to be a certain number of cards available depending upon the player count. One player each turn is the Harbour Master. The Harbour Master chooses one of those four areas, and cards in that area are now available to be selected by the other players, starting from the player on the Harbour Master's left. Now, some cards have a cost, you have to pay money to get goods or whatever, you, and others are free. Starting from the player on the Harbour Master's left, they get to choose whether they want any of the cards available in the current area, in the current market. It comes back to the Harbour Master. If there are any cards still left available in the area they've chosen, they may take a card and that ends the turn there. So anyone who hasn't taken a turn doesn't get to take a card. Or the Harbour Master can pick up their marker and choose to go to another area. Any of the players who haven't taken a card yet this turn now get first choice at cards in that area. And then the Harbour Master again gets the choice to finish the round by taking a card or move on between the four areas. That is very much the key to the game. It's being the harbour master and attempting to psych players out, faking, going to an area, hoping that they'll commit themselves and take cards to give you free reign to go to another area. Or maybe going into an area, making the other players think you don't want anything. And in fact, maybe you don't want anything, but you realise if you take something that you kind of want, it leaves all those other players with no cards at all this turn and you've given yourself a little bit of an advantage. It's not massively deep, but there is a little bit of game there. You are trying to collect these sets of cards in order to fulfill contracts, make money, and certainly it's very much about the uh, player interaction going on. We played a couple of games of it. It seemed to be like the higher player counts was better than the lower player counts, but Puria, what have you got for me on Packet Row? 
I had a quick look at this, and um, I'm more than happy to try it later. But I think at the fair, I just walked past it. It's it's not the most engaging visually. So for me, there's there's not much to say at the moment until I, I have a play of it. But there really needs to be something special going on gameplay wise because looks, it's not really going to make the cut. It looks like a lot of other games. It hasn't got a very exciting theme. It hasn't anything that's very different in the artwork. It's all hinges on that one mechanic, whether you enjoy that or not. But Sean, you've played it a couple of times. Have you got any thoughts on Packet Row? Yeah, the artwork is it's functional to the game. It's, it won't, as I said, it won't make you stand up and take notice of the game, definitely. But yeah, it does really go to our back yet again to this one mechanic that drives the whole game. And for such a simple, simple mechanic, it's just so thought-provoking and it's just so, it gets so tense towards the end of the game if it's close and it invariably is close. When you're just trying to psych out and you know what the other person's going for, you think you know and you're trying to guess what they're going It's very, very clever the way that's done. My only concern for the game is because it's so simple and that one mechanic drives everything, does that affect the longevity of the game? It's one, obviously, this is going to be a play-and-see issue. Is the game very card-draw reliant in order to make it interesting? I know that in the cut games we've had, one has been very low-scoring and one has been very high-scoring. And the one with more players is more high-scoring, possibly because there's more cards available you've got more options. I don't know how tight the game is. I don't know if it's going to be good every time, but I know that I really enjoyed my first play of it. I quite enjoyed my second play of it, and I want to give it a few more plays to see how it goes. I don't know if there's that many decision points during the game whether you have to do that much thinking but i do know when you get in a situation whereby you can take a card that's worth one point knowing you'll give the harbour master a card that's worth four points or you think that if you don't take it they'll only take the one point card because if they make the four point card available you've got first choice ahead of them because at your first internal order you know situations like that whereby it's a big psych out shall i take what's not great for me to leave you open or should I not take it and you're going to take something that's good to stop me from getting anything those are really interesting points in the game yeah there's a couple of mechanics where I feel at the end it gets a little bit pedestrian and a little bit there's no real decisions towards the end and I think if you don't get money into your hand quite early in the game you can be stranded a little bit other than that I'm really interested in playing many many more games of this just to see how it all pans out I like it I like it too, and for the quick playtime and those moments it gives you in the game where it gets very tense, I think it's well worth it. And for some reason, the English copy was €35 and the German copy was €24, and they really don't need any language in there. So I got the cheap one, so I'm very happy. So, chaps, at the show, which publisher there disappointed you the most and why? Uh, Puria, do you want to kick us off? Well, we've uh, obviously had a few games of Spartacus. I enjoy the game. It's lots of fun. It's, let's be honest, not a great game, but it is a lot of fun. So I was really looking forward to this year's Firefly, and I know a lot of other people were as well. So Firefly, I had a look. It's not quite hitting the buttons, and that was a slight letdown. But I think what really got me is walking up, asking for the Spartacus promos, and being asked for 10 euros for what are five cards i think you know that's really doing a disservice to your customers and after that 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 was done for me i walked away and that was it 
Yeah, 10 euros for five promo cards uh, is a little bit outrageous. I paid five euros for the eminent domain promos, and I thought that was a little bit on the steep side, but still, I paid it, but 10 euros was going a bit too far, and I can see why you're so angry at them, Maria. Uh, yeah, for me, Gale Force 9, lovely demo tables, not too sure about your game, and your promos, which are pasted up on the back wall there, with the 10 euros for all to see, you can go and do one, I'm not interested. Right, so for me, the publisher that disappointed me was really Stronghold Games, mainly because of the Canterbury issue, which Ronan mentioned earlier. Now, why Canterbury ended up in their booth, I don't know, but it did, and they just did it no service at all, which really upset me because I wanted to have a go of it. Also, on top of that, the two games that they brought out were just bland and didn't really appeal to me. I was quite excited by both of them, probably going, going, gone, more so than the Space Cadet game. But neither of them just leapt out of me. I ended up just walking past the booth rather than try going in to try it out, apart from trying to scout out Canterbury, which was hidden in the corner. Yeah, it's Stronghold. The booth was just, you couldn't get around it very well. You couldn't get to see many of the games. I, I, again, same as you. I had looked around it, but I'd never really stopped because it just didn't feel like a very comfortable area. I mean, I, they weren't the worst there, in my opinion, by by a long shot, but I never kind of felt like I was able to sit down and relax at their area. Puria, did you stop by Stronghold? I did. Obviously, we did play Dice Jewels, and um, I think, obviously, this year not helped by the fact that there were several real-time games, so lots of shouting and with, you know, people trying to teach them rules in midway. It, was, it wasn't very easy to sit down and enjoy yourself. So um, maybe for next year, hopefully, with a different palette of games, they'll be back to the usual self. Nice. Okay. And the publisher disappointed me most. Now, it's certainly not in terms of games quality because I bought two games. From them. I bought Theseus and I bought the beautiful Robinson Crusoe expansion. But Portal Games... I think have gone beyond the time where they've got a till area which is two feet wide and one person serving when there's a massive queue of people and then three demo tables maybe, one of which was a poser table. Legacy, which I really wanted to try, was only available for abridged demos. They wouldn't let you actually do certain actions. They just wanted to show you certain things. It was impossible to get in on their games to try them out. They didn't have any of their old stock there. I know something Sean said a lot. They didn't have Robinson Crusoe and the expansion, for example, were able to buy together. You just the expansion. I think that they're big enough a name and they were going to sell enough units that they have to do better. And when I compare them to their compatriots, G3, who are just along the way from them, who had done it right, I'm afraid, Portal, you'd done it wrong. I'm expecting more from you. I think what they've gone for, really is the advertisement value rather than the actual gameplay experience. There was just these massive posters everywhere of their games, but nowhere to really sit down and play them. You, If you did manage to get a place on one of the tables, you were almost out in the walkway. They had no space at all. It was a long, thin, narrow gameplay area that just didn't serve any purpose other than the hoarding behind it was advertising the games. You know, Essen is a big trade fair. People go to buy games. People want to try those games. And to use that as retail space, I think, for a bit of advertising doesn't quite cut the mustard. Yeah, not when you've got so many competitors around you. And I think that if you look at the games that were selling a lot, you saw people people walking around a lot. There's the odd one that was just pure on hype. But a lot of them are games that people were able to play. 
if you could sit down to play it. Now, a game, for example, like Yannan, that sold out in English copies because they had, for one game, half a dozen tables and there was a bit of space around them and you could sit down and you could play. We arranged to get a play in of it. Lewis and Clark, they had, I think, four or five tables of that running and people teaching the game all the time. It sold out. I don't think it's real rocket science to work this out. If I get to try it, I'm in the mood to spend money. I have money with me. I'll probably buy it. Okay, Sean, what's the next game you want us to go over quickly? Well, it's the first game we actually managed to get a game of in Essen. So, effectively, it was my very first Essen game. It's a game called Quantum. It's by Funforge. Plays two to four players with a time frame of about 30 minutes. So, in Quantum, each player is a fleet commander from one of four factions of humanity, and you're basically trying to conquer a sector of space. Each one of your dice is a starship. Each number on these dice represents a different type of ship with a different type of ability. For instance, the number two would allow you to pick up another ship on your way and bring it to a different location without using that ship's move turn. You have three turns on each go, and you start with one cube in one sector, and the first person to get four cubes in four different sectors on the board is the winner. Now, this game is all about attacking each other, knocking each other's ships off the board. There's different ways to place your cubes. One way is to match the numbers on the sector. So if it was a sector nine, if you were able to match the number nine with a six and a three ship, for instance, then you'd be able to place a cube in that sector. Another way is by constantly attacking your opponents. Every time you win a battle that you've instigated, you're going to be able to turn a dice that's on your player mat and when you get to number six on that dice you're going to be able to place a cube anywhere on the board you can also do some research and that's going to allow you to get cards into your hand which give you better powers permanent and one-off and it's just a race it's a very quick dice rolling game where you're racing to get those four cubes in four different sectors now as i said we played this game and it's a very simple game and it is fun there was a nice dynamic going on where people were attacking each other i think me and ronan started attacking each other and then realized actually no there's another there's another two people sitting down here let's attack them and i would say that i was all almost ready to buy this game until i looked up and saw the price 40 euros what you get in this game is 28 dice a few sector cards and a few player mats 40 euro that's more expensive than some of the big big heavy releases that, that were out in there i've also heard that some people are complaining about the quality of the dice um i also kind of dropped by and it looks interesting but it was just with the price and the quality issues supposedly it was a not quite right yeah absolutely the the quality of the dice wasn't great the player mats were just thin card the quadrant squares that build up the board and they start in different formations depending on the amount of players they weren't they weren't of massive quality either so yeah for 40 euros again i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going back to 40 euros because that was the deciding factor for me in this game with 40 euros none of the components matched up yeah, I think at 20, maybe even 25 euro, they might have had two sales there. I don't know how much it costs to make the game, so I can't really comment on that. But I do know in terms of the market, Nations, three-hour game, 45 euro. Okay, an empty box. 40 euro for this. Um, the game we played wasn't as quick as it could have been. I think if it was played by, all by quick players, it would be really fun because there's not enough thinking here. It's very, very tactical. You're just making decisions on the fly. There are those cards which can give you long-term plans, but 
it doesn't really make it any more strategic. It's very light, very quick. It's just a filler and just priced out the market, I'm afraid. Sean, any final thoughts on Quantum for us? Just that if it does drop in price and comes down to the sort of £20, €20 mark, I'll definitely have a sniff at it. But €40 is nowhere near my thoughts at the moment. So, lads, we all went to Essen with a fistful of money and we all got a little bit of Essen fever. But when you got home in the cold light of day and opened your suitcase, which of your buys do you now regret the most? Puria? I was actually, I admit, after last year's slight overstep, very good. Um, I even went so far as to halve my euros, one for day one, half for day two. And ultimately, most games I like, I enjoyed. What really got me when I got home? You know, I, like you, enjoy Escape. I was actually one of the Kickstarters before I decided to stop Kickstarting. So I ended up getting both the first and second expansion for free, basically, which, you know, at the time made it more than reasonable. So I thought, you know what, let's make it complete. Went and asked for the Escape promo. And as always, there was one fountain, I believe, this year. And as soon as I left, I was like, was it really worth the five euros just for an extra tile you're probably not going to use? No. And I think for me, that's really pointing me towards, you know, getting off this this promo train. That serves you right for being an escape fan in the first place. Ooh, down with Sean. You're uh, just being grumpy, Sean. It's a five-quick <laughs> game. It's ten minutes. It's enjoyable. And then you're done with it. Yay, up with Puria. <laughs> <laughs> All those queenies. All those, They've even given them an annoying name, queenies. All of those little... I need to say the bad word promos that, that they're selling for ridiculous money need to go and burn in Essen hell. The first time I ever got caught in this was I Fresco 2010, loved it, went back, wanted to get the Scrolls promo, I think, and could not believe they were selling three tiles for €10. Euro. I, I, uh, uh, what? Huh? I actually asked the woman three times to tell me the price. They are on the rip-off trail. I'm with you, Puria. Those queenies need to go. Sean? You had the purchase of the fair. What's your biggest regret? Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Well, mine isn't actually a game. In fact, the games I bought, possibly with the exception of Hollywood, which I haven't played yet, they have their merits. Now, <laughs> let's start the story. A young Sean and a young Ronan are happily skipping down the Essen Isle. And the young Shawnee turns to a store and says, oh, look, they do big dice there. I'll buy one of them for my wife because it's green and it had a bit of silver on it. Lovely. So I've gone up to the store. I've asked the lady, how much is this moderately large dice? Now, what happened next is all a bit of a haze and Roland's had to fill, fill me in on some of, some of the finer details. But what appears happens is she has told me 14 euros and i've gone into shock and in slow motion reached for my wallet and pulled out a 20 euro note and handed it over all the time while ronan was shouting at me what are you doing you idiot put it back it's worth a euro if that so there you have it i looked at it afterwards i felt a little bit sick i probably should have just burnt the money i'd have got more out of it there you go, my essence, my worst Essen purchase. I like to think of this as a Saving Private Ryan moment. <laughs> when Tom Hanks is on the beach and those shells have gone off near him and he's standing there and he's looking around and he can see the people's mouths moving. He can tell they're saying something, but 
nothing is registering. <laughs> That's how I like to imagine you, is I'm there pulling on your arm, making the space in the rack and pointing, saying, put it back, put it back. <laughs> it, just, it was the glazed eyes of your look as you slowly handed over the money. I, sh- I genuinely, genuinely didn't even feel you or hear you doing that. <laughs> All right, I went into right. shock. Period, did you see the photos of this dice? I, don't, I think the only thing left to do is drill a hole in it, put it on a necklace, and next time when you're just about to buy that game, you know you really shouldn't squeeze that die really hard. Let it I be a lesson. To not to you now, Sean. In fact, you should have to wear it forever. <laughs> okay. And the, the worst the thing is, my wife, shame. the worst thing, my wife took one look at him and went, Oh, that's nice. What do I do with it? <laughs> I could tell you a few things to do with it. Anyway, <laughs> might be more use. Um, unfortunately, mine is also dice-related. Mine's a long-running saga. I, Iron Die came out a few years ago, and they look beautiful. They're these metal dice. They come in different colours. Uh, you can use them just for normal games, but they're also associated with their own game. I've read the rules to their game two or three times, and I've always said... That looks okay. It looks all right. But it really only works if you have lots of different colours because you do a sort of a, a dice pool building thing. This is before you had either dice pool building games. You're able to collect different colours of iron die and, and depending upon your style of play, the different colours are best to perform different roles within your army within the game. They're 20 euro a set though. So I'm not particularly anxious to go out and spend 140 euro to get a few sets in order to make it playable. But Sean wanted to buy some again for his wife. He was obsessed with buying green dice for his wife. I don't know, maybe it's a thing. And then, of course, when I saw him buy them, I thought, oh, there's someone to play Iron Die with. I've been waiting for years to play Iron Die. They're so lovely. So I went and bought myself a set. And then we went out for dinner that night, and I read the rules. And it's at that point, after we've invested 40 euro between us, that I remembered, oh, yeah, you need lots of sets to be able to play this game. And we've got a game that's all right, but are we ever really going to play it? So I and I, you're beautiful, but I just think you're a bit useless. Puria? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. That is only a game, so it gets a BTG entry. <laughs> oh! Tough crowd. <laughs> Controversial coming in there. <laughs> I'll point you out to the next lesson, don't worry. <laughs> to be fair, IEX, this, that actually went down on a trip. She loved the dice, and she's going to use them for every dice game now, so... For me, it actually worked out, and they are absolutely gorgeous. Did she fancy buying a blue set from me? <laughs> nah, she, she, that's the one set she said she didn't want. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> wait, wait, wait till one of those metal dice dents your brand new board game, and then we'll talk. <laughs> one of my favorite race games is Leader One. We play it lots, and I think there's a few others that just make me always keep an eye out for Ginos games. And uh, this year, their big ticket game was called the Sheep Race. So in essence, it's a bit like Winning Circle. You pick, I believe, three sheep to bet on. One is public, two are hidden bids, and you get respective points for finishing. Each sheep has um, a very cute little nationality card and also starts with a certain amount of breath, as they call it which determines the movement points. So all you do on your turn is you roll your dice, it tells you which sheep's going to move, and you decide how to use that movement. Uh, So you can use certain cubes as a wild, 
there is a number value associated with either using them at the higher value or the lower, uh, and so on and so forth. So the real decision there is basically trying to manipulate the usage of that resource to either make the sheep come first or last. Now, there is also a ability to recharge that, um, except in the last third of the race, where if you run out of breath, you're out of the race. So it is one of the key strategies is to intentionally make sheep run out of breath just before the finish line. Played it. It was quick. It was actually fairly enjoyable, but it really is only a filler. And, you know, the production, it looks great, but it's in a really big box. And again, 40 euros for what should have been a little filler game. Uh, that's not quite right. So for me, a real shame because as a filler, it, it was enjoyable enough. But for a full-size game, that's that's really ridiculous. Yeah, any game in which Puri can make the comment, the key strategy is to make a sheep run out of breath. I'm not sure I'm happy playing that game. I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I don't remember seeing it at the show. In fact, my comments and notes here are what, why, what. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it to my attention. Again, it does actually sound much more fun than I thought it was going to be when you <laughs> when you did mention it. The little betting element, the fact that there probably is a little bit of control over what the sheep do in the game. It's one I'm really be happy to try. I'm always going to look out for a good filler. As with your good self, 40 euro for something that light, I'm just not interested in. Sean? Yeah, 40 euros. I'm just looking at a picture of it right now, and they, they've got a nerve trying to even charge 40 euros for that. I did see it in the build-up to Western, and I quickly scrolled past that page. But I suppose each to their own, young Puria. <laughs> Spuria, do you want to give us any of your final thoughts on sheep race? No, we've upset him, he's gone. <laughs> I'm just thinking there is nothing. Cheap race, quick little filler, completely overproduced, and as it stands, I think uh, not much of a buy. So moving swiftly on from the sheep race game. Now, guys, which game do you most regret not buying at Essen this year? For me, that's um, pretty much nearly every Japan brand game. So uh, having learnt my lesson from last year, I did pre-order but uh, didn't quite commit. So the few titles I chose not to pre-order sold out within the first day, I think. And um, the one I keep hearing about was Machi Koro. Um, so I'm really gutted I missed that. And um, I'm not sure if it will ever show up again. So unless AEG or someone else picks it up, uh, that may have been it. That was... I, I brought String Savannah... For, for the kids and Magikara was the one that I was definitely most interested in before the show uh, when we got there on the Thursday I found out they actually sold out at 9.45 on the Thursday morning before it even opened all the people who were in there had rushed across and bought them all so we had no hope of getting them unless we flew in on the Wednesday gutted such good play reports coming back from Machi Koro. Lots of people whose opinion I respect are saying it's a lovely game this year's love letter all the rest of it I'm with you, Puria. We can weep together. With my soulful eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, have you got any thoughts on Machi Koro or his soulful eyes? Well, more so his soulful eyes, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a big Japan brand fan. Machi Koro did 
catch my eye. It's very bright, very pretty looking, and something I would like to have given a try, but I'm not too displeased that it, it was gone by the time I got there. Cool. Okay, well, my one is Legacy Testament of Count Decreasy. Now, we talked about this in the previews. There's been a little bit of chat on BGG with regards to our comments on the game. I really wanted to try it. I didn't try it at the booth because there was always busy. You weren't getting a full show of it. I wanted to give it a fair chance. I didn't buy it because of my reservations with regards to how it looks and what have you. I presumed that lots of people I knew would buy it, and they haven't. And now I'm a bit disappointed. So I am going to try and root out someone who owns this game and make them play it with me so I get a chance. But I am gutted that I didn't buy Legacy because I do really want to try it. Yeah, definitely the same as you. I want to give this game a proper go. Some of the people that did get to play it were a little bit upset, as you said, about the sort of abridged version. And there was, again, some quiet quibbles about the artwork and whether people, whether you could tell the younger characters, whether they're male or female. But yeah, definitely a game. I think you can't, you can look at it from afar and you can judge on the artwork, but until you get down and actually play the game and see how it pans out, you can't really give any sort of reasonable critique of it. It's definitely a game I want to play. Absolutely looking forward to trying it, but uh, I'm definitely not sure if I would have regret buying it. It's uh, really ugly. You fit in nicely around here. Sean, Sean, which game did you most regret not buying? Well, for me, I went to Essen this year and I kind of bought a load of American style games. The only real Euro-y, Euro-y type game I bought, well, not even a game, an expansion was the Eclipse Ship Pack 1. And I didn't buy an actual outright Euro game at all. So, Yunnan was the game that I was most attracted to in terms of the Euro games that were available. We did a preview on Yunnan in 14.3, and it was definitely a game that looked interesting. We said earlier, myself and Ronan, we got a chance to sit down and play the game. We played through a scenario with both of us having two players just to see how it all worked out. And it was it was interesting, and it was starting to develop into a really interesting game, even though we were playing the two players. So it wasn't a lot of money either. I think it was around the 30 euro mark. And yeah, it, it, was, it was small enough to fit into my bag, as it turns out. So definitely a game I regret not buying. I think for this one, um, I went with Concordia as my kind of euro filler. But uh, it looks just interesting enough to try. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to trying someone's copy uh, once it makes the way back to London. Yeah, I enjoyed our playthrough of it, Sean. Slight reservations with regards to how AP can get to working out. If I do this, that happens. I do this, that happens. Specifically around the inspector. And and one of our buddies over there confirmed his suspicions with regards to that. I was very, very close to pulling the trigger. In the end, my last game purchase was between this and Invaders. And I went for Invaders, two very different games. So, Jan and you are probably my nearest miss. Of all the games you brought back with you, what games do you haven't played yet and you most want to? Well, it's not so much a game that I brought back with me. It's actually a game that Ronan brought back with him. But I didn't buy it because he was buying it. And it's Nations. Nations was one of the big hits of the show. And despite the fact that you could get a 
a whole range of luggage into the spare space in the box. I think it is an interesting game. I love Civ building games. I love the fact that you're going through this period in history, starting in a specific place and working your way through these eras. Really interesting to see how the card playing mechanics go. And and this is interesting take on war where there's not really a direct conflict. It's just a mechanic in terms of getting first players order or something like that. Ronan will know a little bit more about it. But yeah, really looking forward to playing Nations. Yeah, for sure. But definitely, it's one of the games that once I've taken all of Puri's luggage out of my box, I'm going to get on the table as soon as possible. And I am gagging to play Nations. Puria? Uh, it's actually my choice as well. I think um, I still have a few slight reservations if it, you know, going to hold its own, uh, if it could possibly replace through the ages. Um, but we'll see. But definitely want to try it. And I'm more than happy to let you sort the game out. <laughs> Waste eight hours of my life doing that again, shall I? So I'm the only other person with a choice, and this one is Lewis and Clark. We previewed it. We went to the stand. We saw they were doing a roaring trade. They sold out at the show. I really want to get it on the table to see whether the game itself matches the hype, because for me, this is one of the games that came out of Essen, along with Russian Railroads and Nations, with the most buzz about it. Puria, any thoughts about Lewis and Clark? Do you fancy giving it a go? I really do, yeah. It's um, it does look amazing. I think it it looks really good. It, you know, it just it's appealing to look at when you walk past. I have again reservations about the gameplay, but I really do want to try that one. And for me, yeah, I made Ronan actually take it out of the box when he packed his bag just to show me the board, and it is stunningly good looking. This board and this this game, I'm really interested in this card mechanic where you have to pay to use a card with other cards and use the power from them. And I'm also really interested in this element where you can't go too far ahead of yourself because you've got to balance how much you've got on board your convoy with, how, how far you go ahead, do you push your luck in that essence. So, yeah, a game that I'm really, really interested in playing, probably second only to Nations for me. Okay, Sean, you have got an interesting co-op for us to have a little chat about. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Seven Days of Westerplatter. It's from G3, and it plays one to four people uh, for 45 minutes. Now, this game is a cooperative game set in World War II, Poland, where you are the Polish defences in Westerplatte defending against the German army. And it's called Seven Days of Westerplatte because... The whole of Poland folded actually within two or three days, but this specific area held on for seven days. So it's a famous area and a famous last stand in Poland. So what you're going to do, you are, as I said, the Polish defenders, and you're going to be defending with a set number of resources at your disposal. You have a couple of movement points where you can move from resource to resource or onto the an alleyway where cards are going to be dealt out. These cards are going to represent German troops. Some of them are going to be foot soldiers and they're going to advance on your position. Some of them are going to be mortars when they're going to just shoot from wherever they land. And some of the cards are going to be airstrikes and they're going to do damage to your defenses. Your defenses are actually brick walls. And every time the German troops shoot at these brick walls one of the brick walls or two depending on the power of the strike is going to disappear 
The aim of the game is to survive, and should the German troops ever manage to empty two areas completely of the wall tiles, then you lose the game. If that doesn't happen after the end of the seventh day, then you're going to win the game. As I said, this is a cooperative. It's not one of those games that you get this alpha player syndrome because you're all doing your own independent movements and also you're drawing these cards and you're reacting. So it's nobody can plan the strategy. You're reacting to what comes in front of you. The German cards will come and they will be placed in the section of the board where the, the card states that they should go in. So an interesting game. We managed to get a game of this in the G3 area. It was really enjoyable. The designer of the game actually went through the game with us and his passion spilled over to us and we started getting into the way we're defending this area. He had not much more to say. It's, it's a very simple game. I actually, before Essen, thought it was quite an involved, deep game. And I don't know where I got that notion, but that was quickly dispelled once we started playing. Not a lot more to it than draw a card. It goes there. Defend yourself. Get bullets. Throw a mine down there. Throw a mortar down. Try to take out these cards. Keep them at bay. And when the Germans attack, you're going to lose some of your war pieces. Roland, put it up. So um, that sounds quite interesting in terms of the theme. But by what you've described, I'm not quite sure why, you know, we already had a few co-ops. Well, we had at least one co-op in discussion. And, um, why this would really catch um, your attention in terms of mechanics, stripping away that theme, which, you know, does sound interesting. Um, you know, I'm not sure there's really a game there. I feel, I think there is, I think it is a light game. And I, for obviously theme accepted, I think it's quite like, and I don't know that there's that many co-ops that you can play this quickly and still get that sort of siege mentality going on where you, it's, it feels like everything's against you and you do have to work together. Like for instance, you can work together, you can go into another person's space and you can both, if, if a German troop would happen to have two life, you can both go into the same space and use up a, a bullet token. And there's another one that pushes the German defences back. There's another area that you can lay mines. Do you gamble? and You can only lay mines in empty spaces. Do you gamble when the next card's coming up? So there's a lot of elements of it's kind of exciting and nervous but it's not long enough to really really drag on and I, I like the timing aspect of it I think that the time frame that you play this game in is what appeals to me I think if it were any longer and was any more involved and was any deeper I don't think I'd enjoy it as much yeah for sure I mean I absolutely love the theme I love the idea of it it feels thematic certainly when we're playing the game the few times we've played it everyone uses the game terms in reference so they're talking about the troops or the mortars or the machine gunners or the the ammunition store everyone's using the right terms and that suggests to me that the theme works the other thing with it it's very very quick to play an action and two moves or two moves and an action those actions are limited. There's six action tiles you can t choose from, depending upon where you are on the board. So you're only really able to reach at maximum three, possibly four, or shoot. So it keeps ticking over. It keeps moving along. You can't really get bored. While there are limited actions, it is tactical. You do have to react to what's happening. I actually don't think it's that light. I don't think you could sit down here with four players who haven't played cults before or are not really concentrating on it and win. I think they're going to get smacked around. I think 
choosing from a limited tray of actions each turn doesn't mean there's no strategy to it and there's no need to have a long-term plan how are you going to deal with it are you going to take troops out early like we did in our last game or are you going to be more about rebuilding like we did in our first game it's different ways of going about it and it, both games have come down on the easiest setting to to a real nail-biting finish i think that i'm not sure there's enough variety to the game for it to last forever i the cards are always going to be the same that come out, obviously in different sort of uh, different order every time. There are ways to make it harder. There's a harder morale track. There's um, there's events that happen during the game at the end of every day. You start if you're playing on the easiest setting with just with positive events. There are negative events you can mix in. If you're feeling really brave, just take all negative events. You can make the game harder for yourselves. I think it's done very well to defeat the alpha player issue because of those constant changes on the board. You do have to have a strategy as a team, but one player can't say, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you do this, and then in my turn, I'll do that. You can talk about it a bit, but you still have to be flexible enough for what happens. Do you get a strafing run? Does a, a couple of of those corridors of troops move quicker than you thought they were going to move? I like it. It's very interesting. I've enjoyed my plays of it so far, and I'm really looking forward to playing it some more. I think the crux for this one is that it's going to come when we do finally add in that harder setting and the harder scenarios and add these these little bits in that make the game more difficult. Because so far, I think the game adds, does add that little bit of tension, but I think you're, unless you play badly, I think you're always going to come down just on the side of victory. I don't think we've played the game particularly well, for instance, in our game in Essen. But we did come down on the side of victory just we by a couple of rounds. We didn't. The two fellas with us helped us out a lot. Well, yeah, okay, the two fellas, we completely hindered them and hampered them the whole way. But they pulled us through, and we just finished on the side of the, of the win. And again, when we played it back, when we got back to England, we just finished just the side of the win. Now, I think that might happen every time. So... I think the more times you play it on easy, it's just going to become a little bit pedestrian. We're probably going to win this. I think when you do add in these harder elements, I think that's when the game is going to make, that's going to make or break this game for me. Yeah, I think it's so finely balanced, though, that that one or two card difference is really going to make a big difference. Because if that mortar's not there when you've got a, a troop coming out with high health and you can't take it out, you're going to really suffer for it. Definitely. And I think it's going to encourage much more thoughtful and better play. And I think the more, the better you get at this game, the more interesting it might actually get. So, Ronan, what game did you see everyone buying? Game I saw everywhere, all over the place. Big posters, big examples of play was the new one from Vladishvatel, Tashkalar. Now, it seemed a bit too abstract for me. It seemed very much like the Duke, but with more sort of fantasy theme and cards added on. I wasn't particularly interested in it. I don't know that I know anyone personally who bought it, but I saw lots and lots of people walk around with it tucked under their arm. Yeah, for me, with... with uh, sorry, before I go on to mine, with Tashkalar, it was absolutely everywhere, especially in that whole one. There was big versions, computer versions. It was all over the shop, but... Personally, I actually didn't see many people with it. Yeah, there there was, I think, a lot of demos of this. Nearly everyone I talked to had at least tried it. In terms of the game itself, I agree with you. For me, slightly too abstract. And um, that theme doesn't really add much on, on top of that. You know, but probably a big seller for them. 
Yeah, so my choice would have been Nations, but because it sold out so quickly, we didn't see it in, again after the first day. When we were walking into Essen on the first, or our first day, which was Thursday, we just saw loads and loads of Nations flowing past us. But after that, it was Glass Road. Glass Road just seemed to be everywhere, and it didn't have the biggest booth itself. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't that many people around the booth, or there wasn't that many tables laid out in comparison to some for for instance like queen games but it was in every every store every german store they seemed to have a copy of it and also i just saw so many carrier bags of those clear carrier bags that they hand out at essen with this this nestled in there this copy of glass road obviously on the back of their um big hit in terms of terra mystica last year this was this year's big ticket item and uh it was everywhere. Lots of people trying to get their hands on it. Um, personally, I think I heard there might be a new version from a different publisher I was holding out on. But I uh, look forward to at least trying this one. I think that this might have ridden on the coattails of the fact that no one could get to Caverna. And Caverna was so expensive. If you're going to choose one Uwe Rosenborg game to buy this year, it was going to be Glass Road because it was half the price. And it's as simple as that. It's a case of, I knew that I was going to look at both, but you got one for €70, Euro, one for €35. Euro. Well, only one of them's going to find its way into my bag. Oh, to be fair, it was 60 for Caverna. Oh, okay. One €60, Euro, one €35, Euro. the point stands. <laughs> Puria, what did you see everyone buying? Um, I'm going to qualify this, because somewhat like Nations, um, I think Ship Pack 1, I tried to get a copy on the first day, uh, was told it was technically sold out before the fair was even supposed to open at 10. Uh, on the second day, it I managed to jump in and get a copy, having chosen the right end exit uh, to, to jump through. But um, I think it was also sold out within maybe an hour and a half. Everyone's got their eclipse. Everyone looking for the expansion. It is a... I mean, I'm not sure I would pay 30... Was it 38 euros? Something along that line. Okay, yeah. I'm not sure I would pay that for some pretty ships for my copy of Eclipse that I don't own. But it was they are wonderful. I'm glad Sean bought them and I get to play with them. I'm a bit bemused by exactly how popular it was. I think that's some Essen fever going on there. I think some people are going to get home and look at them and go, I really didn't need to pay that amount of money just for some extra ships. But I'm pretty sure Puri is happy he got them. Sean, you bought Ship Pack 1. Did you feel there was a big rush around it? Oh, well, we cheated a little bit because we we got in slightly before the opening of the show. So I just stood there and waited 9.59 and then just waved at the man behind the counter. So we were able to get it quite easily. But the guy behind the counter was basically said, if you weren't here now, you'd really struggle because it is flying off the shelf. It's all about the gaming bling, isn't it? It's just pimping out that game making it that little bit more special and it's already a special game so for me it was a no-brainer i'm delighted with my purchase so another review and this time it's puria what have you got to show us puria uh, so i finally got a chance to play on the second day uh, one of the games i had quite high on my list which was expedition northwest passage uh, it's an asthma day release and um, in essence, it's recreating the British expedition which tried to discover a route through the Northwest Passage, linking the Atlantic 
to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the game is a tar lane game. Um, it kind of boils down to two halves, where in the first half you are trying to get to one side of the board, uh, and then once you make it there, the uh, return passage will also score you points. On the way, you pick up relics of previous expeditions, which, depending on how far down the board you pick them up, will score you increasing amounts of points. And there is a certain uh, set collection element there going on. In terms of movement, you either have your boat, which obviously needs a, a sea passage through. The mechanic also allows for certain areas of the board to be frozen, which will um, stop your boats being able to navigate the passage. So you also have the ability to use a sleigh, which um, is, is quite a little neat mechanic where you have your workers, which you activate to do actions. Uh, and one of the actions is, in fact, to move a portion of those workers onto your sleigh, which you can then launch separately to your boat. So you go from having one route through to having two separate, which you can either use to explore the map quicker or, in fact, just to get to some of the tiles and pick them up for those additional points. The game plays between two to four and is fairly quick at about 45 minutes. And I think when we tried it, that's pretty much what it was. Um, the rules aren't overly complicated and it was fairly easy to explain as well. Um, and yeah, I quite liked it. It's quite pretty as well. It's got, I'm, I'm sure some people might be put off by, by the look, but um, I actually found it quite appealing. And it's also quite aesthetic as it grows in terms of those um, water passages and the ice islands. Probably one thing I should mention, you also get a bit of a carcassonne thing going on where you will score points for completing islands. So if you choose not to concentrate on the race, you can also try and score points by completing islands and uh, getting increased navigation points. Okay, so I didn't get a chance to play this, although, again, it was quite high on my list. Because, again, of that whole asthma day issue, you couldn't really get into the games in that in that area. It's very busy. But I did have a couple of uh, questions for you. The first one was, in terms of looks, did the looks... Uh, were they functional? Did it help with the gameplay? It looked a tiny bit confusing from the screenshots that were available before it came out. How did it all pan out in terms of threading together visually? It's actually not too bad. I think um, I agree with you. It's it's one of those where it, it looks a bit messier on the pictures than it does in person because um, you know once you're in the game, you kind of pick up the tiles and you start building the map. So you're kind of more involved anyway rather than just kind of seeing it halfway through the game. Uh, the one concern I did have is that the tokens you collect are really small. And I mean, like, I think they were maybe five millimeters square, uh, which which I find a bit problematic, especially anyone who's got kind of any visual problems is, is going to struggle being able to separate those out. OK, my second question was, did it feel thematic when you're playing? Did it feel like you were really exploring or did it feel like it was just a big puzzle? It's, I think, it's not bad. Yeah, it's quite clever. In, um, I, I especially like the ice, how it moves down, because um, if you're not careful uh, in terms of the route you pick, you can actually have your boat be frozen in, So, um, which pretty much means you need to resort to dumping everyone into your sleigh and, and trying to make it across the ice. And, and that was quite nice. So, for example, that's exactly what happened to me in the first game. Uh, I rather foolishly tried to take a, a fairly northern route while everyone else went south, got frozen in, decided to dump the boat, take the sleigh, 
and just go hunt for for those tokens and they actually ignore the the race to the end and um it it feels quite nice the one thing that really stopped me buying it was ultimately the price i think it's a quick little game it's 45 minutes it looks nice but i think it was maybe 45 euros which was just slightly too high to to make me pull the trigger so for me you've mentioned poria that there's this sort of carcassonne element going on where you can complete the islands and obviously it's a race game as well in terms of strategy is there enough choices in the game to make it interesting is there is there different avenues you can explore i think uh, if the game was any longer I, I might share that concern but at the 45 minutes it plays mm. I, I think it was fine because you do you know you do have several things to manage on the one hand you need to actually take an action to pick up tiles so you have a choice to make as to how much of that you prepare up front to actually have a little bit of a selection in terms of tiles uh, ready for when you want to implement your strategy. You need to commit between, you know, either using your boat only, going down the sleigh route, a bit of both. You need to choose if you want to chase those points for getting through the passage and back again, or if you want to commit to that set collection element, uh, or even just exploring the map. So there's enough there for 45 minutes. I think if it drags on, uh, if there's AP going on, uh, that might be an issue, but as it stands, I think it's a nice, interesting little package uh, for the time. Okay, lovely. So, Priya, would you just give us a quick summary on your thoughts on Expedition Northwest Passage? I think the game looks great. I think um, for the time it plays, it's uh, quite enjoyable. The only thing that really put me off was pretty much the price. So, you know, maybe hopefully if that makes it into retail or if it's on discount somewhere, that might be a purchase for me in future. So, as we're nearing the end of our summary, first impressions of Essen, I want to ask you something about the future. In one year from now, which game released at the show this year do you think will be highest in the Board Game Geek rankings? Sean? My choice is going to be Nations, and I say this without having played it, but I saw the the buzz that was around this game. It flew off the shelves. And also, it's a sieve-building game. These games do tend to do very well. It looks like there's enough about it. It's interesting enough that it's going to have that longevity to it. There seems to be loads and loads of cars, as Roland found when he was sorting out. So I think there's going to be a lot of variety to the gameplay. And I just think... This game smacks of a top 10, top 20, top 10 BGG. So for my choice, actually, I also chose Nations. Um, I I need to personally play it first before I can make up my mind if I think it deserves to be up there in the top 10. But I have a suspicion that uh, given the previous publisher's success with Eclipse uh, and the long-standing ranking of through the ages this might have a good chance getting up there well i was definitely toying with the idea of putting nations as the one i thought would be highest in the year from now for sure it has all the elements but i think there's one game that's got the slight edge on it that's an inbuilt fan base and that's caverna i think all the agricola fanboys who have agricola so high in the ratings are going to jump on the caverna bandwagon I also think it has slight elements which will make it appeal to a slightly different audience. Take it away from being as dry, remove the all the cards, which a lot of people don't like, and give you sort of a different route you can go down with these quests and what have you. I think it's going to bring in a slightly new audience to add to the Agricola fan base, and it's going to rocket through the ratings. 
I'm actually not so sure on Caverna because I think um, those people who really love Agricola are going to find that this slight change in formula isn't to their taste. So I think Caverna, for me personally, might actually have more appeal for those people who didn't quite like Agricola. So um, I, I do agree it's going to be up there, but that it's top 10 material, eh, not quite. I agree with Poria, and for the, exactly the reasons he just stated, I think that once the Agricola sort of fan base see that there is this different element to it and it doesn't play quite the same and it actually makes a long game even longer, I'm not sure that it's going to still have that long-lasting appeal. So I think it might be top 100, but not top 10. i tell you what, lads, let's make this interesting. Next year at Essen, the loser has to buy the winners the most overpriced dice they can find. So the last game we're going to do a quick little review off for this show is Invaders. It's from designer Mark Chaplin. It's another one of his asymmetric two-player games. He designed Revolver and Revolver 2. And again, he's brought this out with White Goblin Games. It's again for two players. It says it takes 45 minutes. Now... I think it's going to take a lot of games of this to get used to all the cards to get it down to 45 minutes. Your first game is going to look north of 90 minutes and keep going from there. The theme of it is the players are on two sides of a conflict. One of them is playing this part of Mankind in 2127 and they are looking to prevent the aliens who have landed on Earth from completely taking over. So obviously the other player is taking the part of these aliens. The way this works is there are three attack areas on the board and the aliens are going to attempt to attack in one of those three areas. It's Eurasia or Africa or the Pacific Rim. And mankind is going to react to their attacks and in order to try and prevent them from being able to steal cards from him. It's a card game. It's driven by the players have two completely different decks. I don't think they've got a single card in common. There are lots and lots of different cards. There's 70 cards in each deck and most of them are unique. And each player starts with a hand of five cards. There's no hand limit, however. Each turn they draw two cards and then they have to play cards. And playing cards is going to cost them either cards from their hand or they're going to have to draw cards from their deck in order to pay for these cards coming into play. And if your deck ever runs out, you've lost. It is a countdown mechanism whereby over the turns, if the alien player isn't making any inroads, then he's actually losing ground. And this timer counts down. If that ever reaches to zero, the alien player has lost. Also, if the Eurasia area ever gets reduced to a strength of zero, then that's the whole base gone for the uh, Mankind player and they've lost the game. It's a sci-fi game. It's very much about the alien side looking for opportunities to attack and then the mankind reacting to that, building up defences, laying down some nukes to blow up some of the tougher units that come in their way. It's very nice artwork, I think. I think it's very well themed. I'm a big fan of Revolver. I have very much enjoyed the similar, slightly deeper, very, very tense gameplay that this style of game leads to. Both players think they're losing all the time. There is one slight issue I think I have to uh, mention before Sean does. There's a bit of a misprint on the counters in my copy anyway. I've uh, been in contact with White Goblin Games. They're going to sort it out, so it's not a big issue, but it is there if you do get it, that the counters are printed at 90 degrees to each other, so they're not double-sided as they should be. There's just a few counters for keeping tracks of things. Um, I think there's going to be 
lots of different strategies available for using these decks for either side. I would love to be able to play dozens and dozens of games of this, explore the different strategies and become an invaders expert. Am I going to be able to? Will my gaming buddies want to play it with me? Puria, have you got any thoughts on invaders? I actually uh, really like the concepts in Revolver. I think for me, the game didn't quite gel enough to, to kind of enjoy it on an ongoing basis and to buy it. But I did like that countdown mechanic and this sounds very similar. I do like that asymmetrical gameplay. Um, so for me, actually, it's, it's really piqued my interest. Um, I'm more than happy to give it a go. It's probably something that, by the sounds of it, needs a few plays in a row um, just, to, just to get it buttoned down. But uh, yeah, it looks interesting. Is that a two-player game day invite I'm hearing? I think it might be. <laughs> Sean, you've been my Invaders partner so far. Have you recovered from your mini-stroke? And how are you feeling? What are your thoughts? Oh, man. What a tense game. It's a good game. It's, a, it's an enjoyable game. But I just spent the whole game whinging you're doing what to me now and just oh my god how can you have those cards every single time it felt like everything i did you just repelled but i suppose that's what the whole nature of the game is it turned out to be a lot closer than i thought it was going to be i think it's always going to be fairly close and the tension of the game, you're either going to love that or you're going to hate that. I think Roland really thrives on the tension of a game. And when it gets close and that sort of to in and fro in and you take that and I, I take this. But I just got stressed out and I just found myself whinging more and more about all the nasty things Roland was doing to me because he's a big bully. I fed off your pain. <laughs> I, I enjoyed seeing you suffer so much that I really want to play it again with you um, I think I had a slight advantage I was a bit calm because I have played a fair bit of Revolver and I kind of do realise that what he's done Mark Chapman's games is he makes you think you're losing no matter how well you're doing you think you're losing and if you think you're doing really well that means all your good cards have come out and you're about to hit a bad patch. You can never relax. You can never rest on your laurels. The job's never done until it's done. And I think he's come up with another, so far, First Impressions, absolute cracker with this game. I really love Revolver. I think I'm really going to love Invaders. So, last up for us in this Essen Review Special is one thing you would change about the Essen Spiel. Poria. I think for me, I know I went on about it earlier a little bit, but um, I'm really not a big fan of this new promo culture. I think promos should be exactly that, a promotional item given out. They should be free. If you're going to make someone pay for them, make it for charity like the Daffodil line did. Uh, but anything else is ridiculous. And I think to be fair, that really is up to all of us to stop paying for those ridiculously overpriced cards i think that's great advice it needs to start at home puria <laughs> i was very good this year <laughs> sean any thoughts on promos yeah exactly what puria said i've it's got to start at home because uh, i do it all the time but yeah because so many so many people go out and get these for nothing at essen and some companies give them for nothing as probably has said some people do it for charity some people charge 10 euros for it so yeah there's got to be it's got to be free it's got to be a way of promoting your game and just leave, let's leave it at that 
if you don't manage it to get it, maybe write to the companies. But to make a profit out of just three cards for five, ten dollars doesn't sit very well when you think about it. Okay, so the one change I would make to Spiel is more playing space. There are so many people there looking to spend money and there's such a lack of information. There's a lack of ability to get to those games and play them. When you've got such a receptive audience locked into that building with you, if you show them your game, if they're able to play it, so many of them are going to buy it. I know that I bought most of the games I tried because I'm going there. Firstly, I'm going to seek out the games that I want to try. So I will have done some research on them. So I'm already, you've, you've almost got me. I'm almost on the hook. If you let me play it, you're so likely to get my money. Now, I know that some companies do their best. Booth size is limited. It costs money. Here's an idea for Spiel. The ticket is really reasonably priced. I think it's €27 for all four days. I'll tell you what, make it €35. Make it €40 and open up one or two other halls and make them just for playing games. Just stick a whole load of table and chairs in there. Let people play games. Companies will start sponsoring that area. It will end up playing for itself. And the companies will make their money back because those customers who get to play games with the other people who have bought the games will go back and buy them. I know that I generated three sales of Palmyra just from the people I taught Palmyra to. It's as simple as that. People want to play, buy games. People want to play games. If they play your game, they'll buy it. Give us some space to play games. Yeah, I totally agree. We, I had someone in the hotel in the evening beg me to try the copy of Concordia I'd bought because they'd spent three days trying to get a demo copy of that played. Uh, and it really is something which I think benefits not just us who want to try them, who want to play those games, but ultimately the publishers who are going to sell more copies of them. Yeah, absolutely. All the the queuing up and the squeezing into tight spaces with people nudging you and people's bags of games slapping you around the back of the head as they pass by and the uncomfortable feeling when someone leans right over you to see what you're doing. And yeah, just, yeah, let's get a gameplay area to get going so that we can all just sit down in a bit of comfort and enjoy the games. And as Ronan said, that's just going to generate more sales. Yeah, I mean, just kind of a last quick example there, to, to, not to belabor the point too much. I wanted to try Prosperity out to see whether the rulebook translated into a good game. I didn't get to get it done, but the people I know who did play it, I'm not sure if you won them, Puria, but they had to wait for 45 minutes. They had to stand next to a table in a very packed area, getting bumped and jostled, carrying heavy bags, just to be able to get one game in, that is crazy. And my thing I'd like to change about Spiel is just something I noticed whilst walking around, and this was my very first lesson, is that the English games tend to be really spread out and it's difficult to find English copies of games when if you're not going to actual English game producers. So I'd like to see an actual English section. No, it doesn't have to be a massive section, just a couple of sections where there's English retailers maybe. Now we was played the game of Packet Row with a couple of the guys from Games Law here in England who are an online gaming uh, retailer. And I think they've got plans to come over next year, which is great because that's an English games retailer coming over and actually setting up some English games. Now, if they were in a section with some more English game retailers or or American game retailers, just have those English language games in one place where you know you can go and 
get an English game. Is it more difficult for us to find these really cool German games that we won't necessarily get to play or discover? I don't know. It's just a general idea. I think I do like the idea. I think in terms of the logistics for the publishers, it uh, might be a bit difficult. And obviously this year with the three holes rather than the smaller holes we had last year, um, everyone was kind of bunched up together anyway. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but it would be nice if it did. Yeah, I think it's an idea that really came to mind when those games lot guys are talking about coming over. If they've got an ability to go around, especially all the smaller stalls, uh, and buy up copies of the games and then sell or even sell them for them, then you've got somewhere to go and say, I'm looking for a copy of this, that and the other. Rather than spending six hours wandering the halls trying to find these people in out of way places, if you've got a central focus, you go there and say, oh, great, do you know what I'm looking for, this or that. And then, do you know, if games will sell out on a Thursday of a certain game, they can go back Friday morning and say, mate, we've sold 20 copies of your game, give us 20 more. I don't know if that's how they plan on making it work, but that's something that would be nice, a kind of a focal point to go, rather than wandering around 30 booths that have the odd English copy of this and that, here's one place I can go and know that they've got copies in my language. It's us trying to be spoiled, basically. So, just to wrap up with a few final thoughts, as I said many times, this was my very first Essen, and I think I ended up wandering around on the Thursday in a bit of a daze, and not really taking it all in. And then on the Friday, it was it was all about yeah, let's let's really hit every area that we didn't hit. Now we've even come up with a little plan for next year, in terms of Saturday just gets really 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 busy. So I think we're going to go. Hit the first two days, get a few games. Saturday's a rest day, then going for the bargains on a Sunday. But thoroughly enjoyed my first Essen experience and long may it continue. I think for me personally, uh, this is my third and uh, it's something I really enjoy, especially seeing some of those smaller publishers that uh, you know, you're know you never going to really see in um, the large distribution network. Uh, is a really nice experience. So um, hopefully next year again. And I absolutely adore Essen. This is my version of Christmas now. Going along, being around gamers, being around people that know the lingo, know the coup, know the ropes. When you start chatting about something, they know what you're talking about. Meeting up with friends that you don't see other places. Just this wondrous, massive treasure trove of all these new games just waiting to be played. I wish I had more baggage space, more money, and especially more time to play them all. It's just heaven on earth. If you are at all tempted to go to Essen, go do it and have an amazing time. So, there we have it. Essen 2013 has come and gone, and this is the second and final of our Essen review episodes. Thank you very much for listening, and again, a huge thank you to Puriafri's thoughtful insights, and of course, for his soulful eyes. You can catch all our episodes along with other audio, video and written gaming goodness at 2d6.org. We are very happy to be members of the Dice Tower Network. Head to dicetowernetwork.com and find the very best in board gaming podcasts. You can catch us on Twitter at GamePitPodcast. And if you want to send us an email and have a chat, it's thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Theme by Ian.